Boom! What's going on, Whiskey Freaks? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Ear Whiskey. I'm glad you're here. Before I introduce my guest today, I just want to give a huge shout out to my amazing patrons. Thank you so much, guys, for supporting and keeping supporting the channel and the show. If you want to support this or if you're just interested, head on over to patreon.com slash earwhiskey. There's also a link down in the description below. Without further ado, let me introduce my guest today, Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. First off. Yeah. It's, um, I've been following you for a while on uh, on Instagram. And um, can you tell us a bit about what what single mold alliance your handle there? You know, sort of your uh, cover name, so to speak. What what is single mold alliance? You know, it's 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 funny. It, it started just over four years ago, and the name single mold alliance uh, was designated to its, its original purpose, which was to be a local whiskey club in my city of Chicago and U.S. and you know, it was, it was th three friends, including myself, and we got together with the idea of connecting whiskey enthusiasts. And then, you know, I just kind of offered to do sort of the social media arm, just sort of sharing the experience. But, you know, shortly after we, we launched this, it, it was we, we decided we're not going to do the club. My friend moved back to his home of Austria, and I was sort of left with this Instagram page. And, you know, I, I was just sharing kind of my own personal experiences. So from the really from the onset, it's just been me. Right. Uh, it's kind of gone through. It was, you know, I've been a malt whiskey drinker for a long, long time, uh, longer than I should probably admit. But, <laughs> but I got really serious like five or six years ago. I mean, you know, I just, it's been me, my personal exploration of whiskey. Um, and I think with, with over the last few years, it's sort of evolved as my familiarity and experience has evolved. It's ultimately like being in the business of, of, of whiskey. Um, so it went from sort of reviewing whiskeys to really sort of now just taking an approach of just being open and honest, what I think about certain things, uh, topics, right. not just related to reviewing a product. You know, I'm not a reviewer. I'm just a, a, a one guy just sharing his, his love for whiskey. So uh, its identity is, is not quite clear in, <laughs> in the present, but uh, it's just a lot of fun. I think if anything, it's a creative outlet and, and a way for me to connect with other enthusiasts. Right, right. I think the thing I've taken away from your Instagram uh, account and, and your feed there, uh, which has a huge following, by the way, um, and I think a lot of people resonate with it. And and, and the, the the content, if you can call it that, that you put on there is 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 quite. Everyone can follow along, and it's quite honest and and just very, you know, on the money about this is your opinion, this is what you think, and and. You know, it's almost like a blog kind of thing in a way, uh, with these longer captions. But but overall, it just seems like a very laid back and intelligent way of talking about whiskey. Well, that's um, that's very kind of you. I mean, I am pretty laid back about things, and <laughs> I think when I you know I really started getting into malt whiskey here in the in the United States, particularly, I and mean, maybe in and and if it's like this in Denmark or, or other countries within Europe, I mean, please. I, Add in, but in the U.S., there's sort of a stigma with malt whiskey, and it, it can be a bit. What kind of stigma? Well, let me let me say it this way: it, malt whiskey is not as approachable as I think as it should be, and I think I think that's changed in recent years. But it's it's much of it has been littered, I think, with a lot of pretense. And for people who want to get into it, I just found a lot of malt whiskey drinkers in the U.S. would be very quick to talk down to beginners. And, and in my opinion, that wasn't really doing much to spread what I, the love of, that I had for the spirit. So, I, you know, I guess as a secondary sort of not necessarily subconscious theme, but the approach I wanted to take was to be sort of open. It's to expose really fantastic whiskey just based on its own merit, regardless of what it costs. Just fantastic whiskey that can be exposed to anybody who can appreciate it. And right. this idea that you, you can't appreciate something just because you've only been drinking it for a few months. I don't, I mean, yes and no. I think to a certain extent, there are people who, for me at least, I, I tried some whiskeys when I was young, younger, new to it, that I, I couldn't decipher everything that was going on, but it was just such a, a mind-blowing experience that it actually motivated me to explore more. And so I guess in a way I've been wanting to, to offer that to others, you know? And so it, I guess the voice has been sort of targeted as, 
it's broad enough where it's anybody who's interested in malt whiskey. I mean, I guess you can learn something. It's just me. But uh, if you're new to it particularly, I just love bringing new people into the fold. Right, right. And and that comes across of what, what, what Single Mold Alliance is now, um, at least the, the way since I found it. It is very, you know, approachable sharing love of, of, of whiskey. I remember first when I, when I found your um, uh, Instagram account, I was like, wow, this is a very serious dude with a lot of expensive bottlings and stuff like that. And But then going through your, your posts, it was like, wow, there's a picture of this very approachable 40 ABV whiskey that is just, just as accessible as anything else. Um, wow. That was really interesting. So there's more to this guy than just um, being doing the job you do, being you know having some serious posts about some serious whiskeys. But there's also room for this very you know um, approachable thing where everybody can join in, saying, "Well, Abelard 12 or whatever," you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just some of these whiskeys that I'm fortunate to enjoy, and really now on a daily business. I mean, I represent a, a company that has just some remarkable whiskey that. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I, I really couldn't justify the cost of a single bottle. You know, I think it, it, now I'm so into it and it brings me so much joy or has for, for a while now. Whiskey, you know, that in me from for me, entertainment became sit, nosing a glass for an hour. And like that was my Saturday night. I was like, this is amazing. Right. So easier for me. But, but, you know, I think put ourselves in the shoes of most people. It, it's we have to kind of guide people into it. So and for me, like. I'm, I'm beyond lucky to be where I'm at and I'm, I'm around this and it's some, sometimes it's easy to take it for granted, but like when I go home at the end of the day, I just think there is beauty sometimes in simplicity and right. you know, not every whiskey is designed to be the best whiskey. It's, it's meant to be for the people. And so, yeah, that's kind of just echoes my general approach to life and, and all things. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So t tell us a bit about what, what it is you do. Obviously, you're sitting with a backdrop that will make most people green. And that is not a standard whiskey collection, I guess. What, what is it you do? Tell us what you do. Yeah, so I, I am, in essence, um, I don't even know if, if, my, if I have a title at this point, but I, I represent the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society uh, within the United States of America. Basic role is to, is to grow the, the business across the U.S. So the, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society is a couple of things. I would start off, first and foremost, it's it's a club, a club of whiskey lovers based in Edinburgh in the U.K., uh, founded 36 years ago by a gentleman who walked into Glen Farkless Distillery. And this is a, this is actually when you did this, this is in the late 70s. Where I'm kind of going off on a tangent. I, I don't. I'm starting to tell the history, but I didn't really answer directly what I do. I mean, if you want me to go into this, basically, I, I kind of I grow the business. Uh, right. Uh, sorry, I, I don't want to. I, I mean, sort of the mode of just going on about it. But basically, the, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. A guy walked into Glen Farkless Distillery, late '70s, and in the late '70s, Scotch whiskey was essentially the big blends as we know it. Large right. commercial brands. The style of whiskey that was enjoyed around the world was these sort of low ABV, and I'd say around 40%, um, blends of all different casts from different distilleries. And that was Scotch whiskey as we, you know, the world knew it. Uh, the single malt category whiskey, you know, being bottled from a single distillery was created, you know, over 10 years before that, uh, but really wasn't popularized until sort of the, the 80s, I would say. But in the 70s, you walked in the distillery, tasted whiskey straight from the cask in the, in the warehouse. And just notice how profoundly different it was from anything he could buy at his local whiskey shop and bought the cask, put it in his car, brought it back to Edinburgh, shared it amongst his friends. And, and then, you know, everybody fell for it and said, this is amazing. Your pure whiskey without adulteration is so good. Went back and bought some more casks. And then this idea of going around Scotland and buying these different casks, bringing them back and just sharing them amongst friends was the, the foundation for the society. So, Wow. We're a club in essence, you know, we're, we're, it's not necessarily an exclusive whiskey club. We, we built a business model where just as people were chipping in to fund the acquisition of a cast at the beginning, we, we put our business model today is such that you pay a, a small membership fee that, that goes to, towards everything in, in essence. Um, right. But it's, you know, 30,000 whiskey enthusiasts around the world and seven or 800 casts were bottled last year. So we yeah we serve as an independent bottler in that essence, but we're we're, we're a bit different than any other because I think both of them, the size and volume and the fact that really we're a, a membership club, 
behind that. Right. It seems like a more intimate kind of thing when you get a, your hands on an SMWS uh, bottling. It, it's it's sort of a secret handshake in a way. Not that it is a cult or any kind of Freemason thing, but but there's just some kind of of exclusivity to it. You know, it's like this is a very special thing, and and obviously you can get you know a limited release of bottles from any old cask from any kind of bottling Duncan Taylor or whatever. But but being that kind of club that you are seems like a, a, a very profound thing to be part of. Yeah, it, it's, you know, a couple of years ago, I was a member of the club and just thought, wow, this is, yeah, and I was really deep in the Instagram, you know, the blog, the single malt alliance. The, I was really just every day exploring and learning as much as I could. And just, I just realized, I was like, wow, the, the best whiskey I'm tasting is coming from this one, one source. And right. relatively unknown brand, I thought, you know, in, especially here in the U.S. So I, I sort of I phoned them up and, and pitched myself. There was no job opening or anything. I just said, hey, look, you know me. I'm just really enthusiastic. I want to I think I can help. And, you know, after a few months, put a business plan together that we said, OK, let's try it out. <laughs> it's working, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I. Yeah, I, I was. I, this is a this is a, a project, a passion project. I mean, it's my full time career, and it's it's going amazingly well. But I just came from this simply because I thought, how, hey, the, the whiskey's amazing. Right. Love that it's not just about taking a cask, dumping it, selling it. It's about sharing the experience, the communal aspect. The club is incredible, you know, in in Scotland. So, yeah, that's that's why I'm here. So so. What is it, in your opinion, that independent bottlings can can offer a you know a whiskey drinker or just a general consumer that official bottlings sometimes can can lack? Well, I think you know, and that's a really good question. There, there's a few things. I think fundamentally, you know, what what is the what is the the, the purpose of let's start with an official bottling? Like, what is the right. official purpose? It's to appeal in general, in general, not all distilleries are the same, but in general, let's take a big spay distillery. It's to provide a consistent product that can be enjoyed by, in essence, as many people as possible. I mean, other, I mean, otherwise, I know we're also passionate about whiskey, but sometimes we forget that it is a business first and foremost. It is. And without, without selling whiskey, it, w- it, w- it wouldn't be there to just serve our sort of passion. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, that... And we can, and not to go into the tangent now, but we can talk about a corporation that owns a very popular film franchise that has to, right. in the same essence, has to appeal to as many people as possible. More on that later. But um, <laughs> with, with, you know, with independent bottlings, for the most part, you're, you're bottling whiskey just from a cask. And you know, in most instances, and certainly with the Scottish Whiskey Society, everything is just pure cask strength. And when you're bottling only a couple hundred bottles from a cask. There's no real pressure to make a product that with the broadest appeal possible. Right. You can really just give give it up as it is. You don't have to really tweak it. And I think in essence, you know, the, I think it was the founder of Porsche, I think, or in his early days, his sort of motto was like, this is way back. Was it in the, well, at the time, I, this was actually in the fifties, which I don't think was a founding, but he, he made the model that, you know, to build something that everyone would like is to build something that nobody would truly love. And I think right. that that really tr- translates into whiskey because we all have different interests and palates. And I think it's harder to really fall in love with something that's created for the purpose of broader appeal, you know, and just general enjoyment as opposed to just something with more personality and uniqueness. And independent bottlers, you know, really offer that sort of whiskey. There's not the pressure to have that appeal. They're sort of one-offs and they're different. And I think it would just increase the odds of really falling are being captivated by you know, this sort of spirit. That's not right. Awesome. So that, that's my that's my thought at least. Well, I I I will say that the independent bottlings I've I've tried and, and have a couple of bottles of. I absolutely agree. I remember getting to to it was a bottling of a twenty year old Longhorn, the first independent bottling I got. Um, and remember was so hyped about it, and, and and so you know here we go independent blah, 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 you know really just super pumped about it and then i tried it was like oh god (laughs) 
this was so different from anything, you know, up until that point, it had been sort of like 40, 43, you know, ABV and, and bigger brands like Belveni, Doublewood and Abelor 12 and the classic Islas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So getting to try that, that independent bottler, bottling with all of those oils in and high ABV and, and there's really a texture and density to it, it was so alien for me in, in, in a way. And, and, it, it took me some time to get to get used to it, but once I got over that sort of threshold, I was like, "Wow, there's a world beyond, you know, the the mountains in a way um, that can offer something truly unique." Um, and also, you know, w- when you get a a independent bottling or something, it, it's it's usually like you touched on before, a batch of bottles from one specific casks, and that's it. Yeah. The, the sister cast right next to it may turn out completely different. Um, so it's sort of that unique experience you touched on. Um, so are you colored in any way by your, in what you do in your job? Are you sort of over the years been, been, been sort of colored in a way to, to have a preference that, that leads you to that kind of whiskey? that independent bottling style of whiskey? So colored meaning, so am I sort of, are you asking if that's really where I, what I drink most often or, or do I have a strong preference? Right, yeah. You know, it's it's really funny. It's funny, um, yes and no. You know, in, in one hand, it has really spoiled my palate, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to look past that. But in some ways, I found greater appreciation for the things that I fell in love with in the beginning. It's a really weird thing. I, you know, I think we all want what we can't have. And then right. we have it. And sometimes we have a different perspective than we thought. I mean, I think that people say that about, you know, I don't know this, but I think when you get rich, people, everybody says that everybody wants money. But when you get a lot of money, people say that like, oh, no, I'm, they're still not happy. Right. I, I So... <laughs> Assuming that that's all true, in essence, with with once you're in a really phenomenal position of like, wow, I have all this amazing whiskey around me. Um, I'm finding enjoyment in the simple things. So you mentioned earlier about like, hey, I'll drink a 40 percent ABV whiskey. That's not my preference, but right. there are more times in which I want a social dram or something to relax with and that I don't want to have to discern. So maybe, so maybe I'll say this, you know, I haven't really marinated on on this, on this answer. This is, I'm seeing it for the first time here, but I I think I definitely have a preference towards, I'll tell you the single cast drink whiskey for sure. I really, I really, it's hard for me to look past cast drink whiskey. I I, I do have some, but you know, when it gets below 50%, certainly below 46%, there's just less that I want to cling on to. And I just love the ability to sort of add water at my own pace Right. To my palate. So that's a big qualifier. You know, the single cask, I love just the, the the character of the whiskey is such that, you know, you can really discern sort of the more the micro factors that the natural factors that I think give to the flavor, the particular, you know, influence of that one cask, a uh, single type of oak, you know, not blended with other types of oak, the, the, the very linear flavors there. Um, I think it's easier to get in touch with like the fermentation process, all the whole process of, of distillation, but with, uh, a vatted malt, you know, a blend of different casks, there's a sensory experience that you can't always get with single cask. You know, it is more complex right. more often than not. So I just want to highlight that because I think even in my world around single cask, I want to just call out that I, I have a lot of respect and appreciation for single malts, you know, blends of different casks. Um, because, but I just think it's a fundamentally different tasting experience more often than not. But right. I, yeah, but I do have that preference towards a single cask. Uh, excuse me, I do have a preference towards cask strength as well as non-chill filtration. And, and, and I'm not like, so I don't hate on it. I won't totally avoid it, but I'm not a fan of artificial coloring. You know, I know some people are like, I can't deal with this. Other people don't care. I'm kind of in the middle. Right. I don't like it when it's really overdone, but so I would say more natural whiskey is, is my preference. Do you think there should be any kind of, of, of laws, 
you know, against coloring and chill filtration? Or should there at least be laws saying that you need to state what you do to your whiskey on the label? I mean, I think I... My own personal opinion, I think, when it comes to food and drink has been that the consumer is in charge. We should make our own decisions as consumers. And really, I'm the kind of guy, I like to research, like probably tell from my Instagram, I like to research right. what it is I'm engaging in. I, I find value in that. You know, I, I don't want to shut down all fast food restaurants. I will just choose to eat at them sparingly. Um, but, the, you know, with artificial colorant, I think there are some distilleries that will use it to a slight degree. And perhaps it is because it's it's of color consistency. And, and I understand that there are others who really, I can't help but feel this is my opinion here, that yeah. they're just misleading consumers because right. I know a nine-year-old American oak matured whiskey is not as dark as something that spent 20 years in a wine cask. Like I just, I just, you sure. know, it's like, that's, that's not, there's no, there's no, in, there's no consistency that you're trying to maintain there because no cast that came out of that sort of batting is going to be even close to that color. So, right. Yeah. I think misleading consumers on the basis that darker is older and older is better. It, it's, I don't know. It's, it's not malicious, but it's wrong in my opinion. Mm. Uh, but I just think it's more complicated than that. I think not every brand is the same. Not every distiller is the same, the, the usage. Uh, I would, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not giving you a clear answer because I don't think I have one. No, it's fine. It's fine. I, I just think that we've, you know, in the past sort of like five to 10 years, maybe have seen a, a slight renaissance in, in, in the, the, the presentation of whiskey, you know, and I think one of the, the biggest factors has to do with what you do, independent bottlings, you know, um, companies that, 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 that release these whiskeys as natural as possible. And the same thing, I think a lot of the, the credit can be attributed to, to Compass Box, a company that has led a transparency campaign saying that, no, we will fight for yeah. transparency. We will, we think the customer and the consumer and the nerd and whatever, you know, this whole demographic deserves to know, at least to know what's in and, 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 uh, to be in the bottle, and and sometimes I think about it as so like like you say, I'm not religious about it. Um, I'm, I'm like you, a bit in the middle. I would prefer it not to be colored, but at the same time, I've been through enough whiskeys by now to know where to go. You know, yeah. And 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 it only takes two clicks of research to to find out. Okay, this bottle has X amount of or has coloring and is chill filtered or not. So we can sort of run through the raindrops in that aspect now. Um, so do you think independent bottlers have led the way for, or been part of that sort of renaissance? Well, it's funny because all of our whiskey is, uh, naturally colored. It's all not yes. cultured yet. We never really talk about it. <laughs> we don't actually, you know, we, you know, a lot of these distilleries, uh, uh, the, the brand side, they'll put, they'll put everything on the, in the bottle. And so in terms of leading the way, maybe indirectly from our, and the Scotch Whiskey Society is the largest independent bottler, by the way. So just for right. context, like it's, it's a huge relative to any others. And um, it's a great little industry of independent bottlers, but the societies of the largest has been named best Cindy bottler of the year, seven of the last 10 years. It's like, it's, it's a huge operation and we don't really talk about it as often. I mean, I think we will do it more casually when members or kind of people who are trying to whiskey for the first time will make a comment saying, mm -hmm. Hey, this is really light for a twenty-year-old Isla whiskey. What's going on here? Right. People say, "Well, explain." Oh, it's actually naturally colored. You know, most a lot of whiskey. So really like pushing it, um, but I definitely welcome that conversation. You know, so. Uh, but your point about Compass Box, I mean, I think they're definitely vocal about it. I think Brooklady, you know, Mark Grenier when he resurrected Brooklady in two thousand one in the early two thousands was really sort of, you know, uh, militant about it. And, and I think right, that, right. that really helped kickstart conversation. But going back to it, I, I'm a big fan of letting the consumer sort of try this. And I think the fact that if, it, if consumers are demanding this, I feel that the, the, the product will follow. I mean, it will have to. Otherwise, they'll fall out of favor. Right. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. So let, let's go back a bit in terms of... Uh... In terms of your history with whiskey, when did you sort of fall in love with whiskey? You know, in in what 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 time in your life was sort of 
important in terms of this was when you sort of began to to fall in love with whiskey not necessarily understanding what went on in the glass or whatever mm -hmm. but when when this sort of epiphany arose that was like wow this is amazing um i, w I was 18 years old and I went off to, you know, I was out, I went off to school. I moved out of my home, my parents' home, of course, and um, discovered Johnny Walker. You know, I was a, a poor student at the time, and the local bar, <laughs> a pour of Johnny Walker black was the same as the cheapest beer. You know that that right. college students, because nobody in the, the Midwestern United States was really drinking, and college time was drinking any sort of Scotch whiskey. So. Uh, I just, right away, I, I really just enjoyed the intensity of the experience. You know, I enjoyed right. drinking beer as a young guy, but the, the intensity of it. And I think I just quickly decided that I prefer the, the flavor of, of malt. Now, Johnny Walker, of course, being grain and malt, but the Scottish style, I just, I felt that suited my palate. I enjoyed that more than uh, really what I was around because I'm in the American Midwest and I'm a five hour drive from bourbon country. Right. Um, it's dominant here in the city of Chicago, but, you know, I just preferred the Scottish style. And I would say at that time I was actually, I was probably drinking Johnny Walker red label on the rocks, which is, I guess, I, I don't know. I have an emotional attachment with that. And then on Saturday right. when it was a big night out, I would do black label on the rocks. Right. And then, it, you know, I went to then the, the, the basic, the big lens came next, you know, and, it, I did that for a few years and then I said, I want to, yeah, wow, this is really something. There was a special occasion and I said, wow, I can now allow myself to, I got out of school. I, can, I had a little bit of money. I mean, just enough to go out and buy a nice bottle of whiskey. And I set a budget of 50 US dollars for myself and said, wow, this is more than I ever spent. And it was kind of crazy. And this is going to last me a year, a full year. Uh, and then I walked in and had a tasting in a shop and just was exposed to everything. And I, and I was told, well, you're not going to like this, you know, Lafroyd cast strength. You're not going to like this, but you could learn to love it. And I was just so intrigued with this challenge of developing a palate to like things. Um, anyway, that's, that's a walking timeline, I guess. And then it's, oh, that's cool. The rest is history, yeah. How I remember that, you know, you, you said that sort of the, the aggression of it and the intensity of it. That, that was exactly what, um, what turned me on. I remember I was about, yeah, same 17 18 years mm -hmm. old um and my dad got into uh got into whiskey especially isla whiskey so that was my sort of fire birth um and um one of the, i think it was uh art bag lefroy those those whiskeys you know i was introduced to I, obviously i tried some grants and famous grouse and stuff like that but not really you know just taking it as a shot and like Ugh. Um, but I remember trying one of those, ex you know, aggressive Isla whiskeys. I was like, wow, this is, this is another level. This is another universe. Um, and the aggression was sort of like, sort of like, a, <laughs> you know, when you witness a car accident, you can't look away, but you know, you should. It's sort of like, you know, uh, mesmerizing in a way. I'm sort of captured by it. And, um, yeah, it, it it was a great introduction to to uh, to to single malt whiskey. Uh, I'll never forget that that yeah. sort of being taken by something and just running with it. It was yeah. uh, it was intense, but uh, great. Would you say that was, was that sort of your launching pad for your own interest with that moment itself? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it was so dramatic and it was so um, violent in a way, you know that that i had to deal with this and and um being that 17 18 years old you you can conquer the world and then you had something that was just smacking you around i was like wow this is yeah. this is intense and um and and the flavors and it, it was not just that wow i can drink intense whiskey but but it was sort of like that the flavors in this and the smokiness it was so out of this world in terms of anything i'd ever tried before that I needed to to dissect this and try and and down the rabbit hole I went. Are you um, are you still into that style today? It's my favorite style of whiskey. Um, yeah. My my currently my my favorite whiskey is Lagavulin Eight. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, 
I, I, I just love that whiskey. And I think it's, it's, it's due to the age and, and the ABV. Um, that I, I prefer young, Isla whiskey's young at a high ABV. Um, and Speyside whiskey's, Highland whiskey's older. Um, so yeah, I like that drama. I like the drama of a good, vibrant sherry cask. I'm drinking Glengoyne 25 right now. Oh, that's um, a, yeah. Sorry? That's, that's a, I love that whiskey. I mean, I love Glengoyne. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful whiskey. I received the sample package today from the Whiskey Pilgrim. Thank you, Frederick. Um, and this was in it. It was just, it is a very nice whiskey. Um, but yeah, smoky, aggressive Isla whiskey is, 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 uh, is my preferred. Do you have a flavor profile that sort of is like, if you had to take one style of whiskey to a deserted island, what would it be? It's really changed since I got in the business. And I think, so when I, when I, you know, I've been with this company, I've been in the business for just under two years. And when I came into it, I had a very strong preference towards bolt and intense wine cast of some sort. I would say at the time, my favorite, one of my top, one of my favorite whiskeys of all time is, was the original Kilhoman port cask, which is a three-year-old, you know, port of things, heavily peated, uh, full term in uh, port wine cask. And it's just the explosion and personality and imperfection of it. You know, not, it's not a whiskey right. to be sipped and savored in a, an armchair it's just, wow. You feel like there's somebody else in the room with you when you're alone. Um, right. More recently, I, I think I've, over the years, I, I've, I've sort of developed a greater appreciation, first of all, for American oak. I think I have a greater appreciation for the art of distilling. And so, and, and having met so many distillers, through, both through the Scotland Whiskey Society and, and official visits, but also through you know, the Single Malt Alliance and the contacts there, um, I've really, I've really understood, you know, why a lot of distillers sometimes prefer American oak because they can really taste the spirit and everything they do is sort of lost when you have a heavy wine cast. So I've gone sort of on the, the American oak side and, and surprisingly, I don't know, I've gone to more of the lighter, the lighter side, but in Chicago, we have four seasons and it gets frigid, you know, frozen in the wintertime and then right. really hot in the summers. And so being a, a, a region with four seasons, I, I do find myself cycling back and forth dependent on them, you know, and in this time, right. I do love a good sherry cask, an old Glendronic with you know, single cask is amazing. Oh. But uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a self-proclaimed sort of laddie freak. I love Bricklaudie and, and their Port Charlotte line. And, and the new Octomars, I think, are really getting better and better. Um, so, yeah. Right. I, I, I remember um, one of the first whiskeys I had, you know, that whole Pete Gassum thing was an older port charlotte uh or one of the first ones i guess it was called Anne tours more oh yeah yeah it, they don't i've had that one they don't produce that anymore do they no 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 it was great yeah it was, it was long gone i i think yeah. i think the new port charlotte though is really good i was is that the, the new 10-year-old? Yeah, the one that's in the sort of oil can. I mean, Right, I haven't tried that yet, but everyone is raving about it. I, li I like the six- to seven-year-old sort of young, just youthful, uh, yeah, just the youthful whiskey. It's always like, man, 10 years old might actually be too developed for that. It, it might lose some of that sort of innocence or that imperfection that I mentioned earlier. But I, right. think, I think it's just phenomenal. Like, it's just such a great blend. So would you say would you say that that Isla whiskeys is is also like you know at least below ten years old in your preference, or is that sort of a case by case basis? Yeah, it's a case by case basis because not I don't for whatever reason I don't love all young Isla whiskey from every distillery, right? And I don't love all old. I was it depends. I would say if you if you break down each distillery, I have a different preference. Of, of sort of maturity of, uh, of their own spirit, you know, and then of course, depending on the wine cast, the type of cask rather. So um, Lagavulin, I'll tell you this, I, I like the eight-year-old a lot. That I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't drink a lot of Lagavulin, but I just think that that whiskey and the value on that is so good too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and what they did, you know, having 200 anniversary and, and releasing it at an affordable price that anybody could pay, yeah. you know, it was, yeah. it was, it, it was amazing because I, I think, Who's that? Who said that? 
I think it was Daniel Whittington from the Whiskey Vault when they did a review on that, who said that they could easily have made this sort of an exclusive $150, $200 limited edition bottling. But they didn't. Mm. Um, they made it accessible for anybody. And I think it's just... I also think that is sort of one of, you know, a, a part of the ingredients to why I love that whiskey so much. And the fact that they have made it a part of their core range yeah. is, uh, is great. I, I like the 16. I'm not a fan of the distiller's edition when it comes to Lagavulin. I actually only really, you know, Lagavulin is, is so far my favorite distillery because of that, because of that eight year old, I just think it's magical. Um, but, uh, I think they should cram up their ABVs a bit. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, I'm not a huge fan of Lagavulin. And I, when I say that, oh man, if I say that on Instagram, everybody gets all up in arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, if we, if we all like the same things, it'd be really boring. You know, but. Right. Of course. I just, you know, there, I, there are a lot of options. Well, then, I mean, not a ton of options in Island, but there are, what, nine working distilleries right now? Like, there's enough. So that when I need a Peter Whiskey from Isla, like there's a lot to choose and Lagavulin is just not in my top few, but right. that's because I think most of the whiskey is, is not for me. The eight year old, the 12 year old cast strength, I think is, is really good. The oh, price the 12, that, yeah. Yeah. The price of that's going up and up. So, yeah. But, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mentioned some of them. Right. Yeah. We don't have to agree on everything. If we sat here talked about and, and you agreed with everything I said, and I agreed with everything you said, it would be a boring conversation. Yeah. You know, no, um, I, I wouldn't say that, that it's weird because I think I have a strong tendency to sort of fall, you know, head first in love with something when I try one bottling and then proclaim Lagavulin is my favorite whiskey. I love the eight year old and, and, um, but I'm not a fan of the distiller's edition. I think it's too sweet and too soft and too watery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, one of the, the Isla whiskeys that, that sort of caught my attention, I just out of random grabbed a bottle where uh, was Kilhoman, like you talked about before. Um, I'd heard about it and it's just like, yeah, let me, let me try a bottle of that. And it's just the standard blue one. Um, it's a great whiskey. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm a fan. I mean, it's, I mean, I guess Ardenho is the, the youngest on Isla, but in terms of distilleries offering their own spirit and bottling form, it is the youngest, Kilhoman. And I, I had a chance to go out there for the first time last year and uh, meet with the, the distillery manager, Robin Bignall. And, and just, you know, he's a, he, he was an Isla farmer, sort of put in this right. position of managing a distillery. And everything is just, well, I think this is the case with most. Well, maybe not everyone. I'm saying things and sort of retracting as I think about it out loud, but I think it's it's one of the more authentic experiences I've had in terms of visiting distillery, meeting the people. Everything is real. There's a lot of marketing driving, especially in the U.S. When we're overseas, it's just a lot of a lot of buying decisions are driven by marketing. That's why it exists. But right. when you visit these distilleries, it's always nice to see. Oh wow, everything you're doing here is completely in line with what you talk about. Yeah, there's there's no there are no secrets. And right, and there are quite a few of those, you know, in, in Scotland. But Kilhoman right. is definitely one of those. You know, Kilhoman yeah. is one where it's like, wow, what you see is what you get. What we tell you about is what you're going to see. And yeah, you might find somebody in the bottling line complaining that she's hand writing the numbers on every single bottle, and she wants to go home, but she's doing <laughs> the job and she's working hard at it. You know, and they're not printing labels telling you that someone's doing that. It's all real. So, right. It was just a fantastic experience that I had at Kilhoman. So I'm a fan. I've loved watching them sort of mature over the years. And right. So I uh, we had a um, a Danish distillery being the first one to get bottled by SMWS. Yeah. Very lucky. Did the uh, Dramlet? Is that what it's called? Dramlet, the Dark Prince of Denmark, I think. Yeah, we didn't get it here in the U.S. because there was no. I think they've probably filled 30 to 40 casks in the entire year uh, at the distillery. So we got one of them and that's a huge percentage of their total output. So, so we, you have a cask of Farallog and whiskey. Uh, I think we, we released one or we're going to release one in, in, in Europe and in the UK, but um, wow. And, and, I went to visit them earlier yeah. this year. Uh, great people, very, very small distillery. Um, and yeah, like you said, they, they fill no number of casks compared to, to bigger distilleries, but, but a huge accomplishment to be acknowledged that way by, by 
the Scotch Malt Whis Whiskey Society. Yeah, I mean, Jean Quot, I, I can't recall the name of the distillery again, just because it's not, I mean, it, it sounds like it could be that one. I could be wrong though, but I, I just know that there was a sort of an upstart Danish distillery that's getting a lot of accolades just from, from, from whiskey enthusiasts in your country. Right. We, we met with them and we have a lot of enthusiastic SMWS members in Denmark. Yeah, it's, so, it's a big thing. It is a really big thing. I met a lot of, I guess they, when I, last time I was over there, which, which was in May of this year, 2019, there was a huge group of, of uh, SMWS members who had flown in for Denmark and they were having a private tasting at the vaults for just their group. And I kind of met some of them and they were, they were the first to come in at the vaults and start drinking and the last to leave that night. I can tell you, <laughs> so, I mean, and, and everybody, you know, our founder was there that, that night and he was like, Oh, watch out for these guys. They are serious. <laughs> and I've never been no, it, it, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm impressed by uh, their enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's, um, we like what, what, what SMWS is doing. And I, and I think it, it harkens back to that sort of being part of a special thing and also being completely able to, to, to know what's in that bottle of whiskey. And I, and I think, you know, I think the market is slowly, you know, like we talked about before, um, gradually sort of switching to more transparent, you know, market. And, and, and one of the big thing has to do with that. People is just choosing that style yeah. of whiskey so it's sort of forcing uh, producers that wouldn't maybe normally do you know more transparent production to to do that to 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 stay in fashion so to speak yeah yeah just a second what are you having there in your glass oh well something really strong um <laughs> This is a SMWS cask. Oh, wow, that goes on. 30.101. Yeah, we don't reveal the distillery names, but if you guys right. the distillery code 30, it's a space-side distillery. Um, 10 years full term in a first fill Spanish oak sherry butt. Ooh. And bottled at 64.3%. Oh, God. So I, I just, I kind of can't kill it before then took a sip and I got all of that 64.3%, but... <laughs> call a sherry bomb if there ever is one so right uh no I, I i like sherry mature whiskey like this time of year it's just i'm looking out out the window here it's just everything's frozen over and i just it, it, i don't know it brings a sense of warmth that is as much yeah warmth. it's christmas whiskey yeah it's christmas whiskey exactly yeah 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 so um what was i thinking about i had a thought now it's gone um yeah, I was thinking, in terms of uh, SMWS, are there distilleries that you guys, I know you can't tell everything and just don't answer if there's something you can't yeah. talk about, but are there distilleries that you guys don't want to work with I mean, in terms of this this profile, the thing they do is just not something we want to associate ourselves with? I, w I would say the opposite. Uh, I mean, I don't know for sure. I'm probably not qualified to answer this truthfully because I because I'm not really behind the scenes of the. Um, I, I know quite well my colleagues who, who, who strike up the partnerships and acquire the cast, but um, this it, it, it could, there could be some, but in general, in pr in principle, rather, our approach is to explore the unique, and I think we really. You know, at this point, we have twelve to thirteen thousand casks in our warehouse that we've accumulated, and I think that that's a huge stock to have for right. a bottler. And at this point, we're really looking to explore things that are different. And you know, the whole thing it has every whiskey, every cask has to pass a blind panel tasting process, and it's wow. not going to be bottled. And so every week, we have our tasting panel it gets together in Edinburgh. They taste for a sample of whiskeys, not knowing what they are, and then blindly taste tests each one and chooses what's good enough to be bottled. So ultimately, and that's the difference between, I think, SMWS, well, it is, and any other independent bottler, is there's this sort of control in place that a whiskey won't be bottled unless it meets the approval of, of, of really a, a highly skilled tasting panel. Um, right. But that said, you know, we're, so we're looking to acquire really unique casks, I think, more than anything. And you know what? 
without revealing anything, we just did a U.S. tour uh, a couple months ago. Our spirits director and spirits manager both flew over, and the three of us went down to Kentucky, explored the world of bourbon. And we we've just in this trip alone, we found some really unique approaches to making you know, American whiskey. And I think at the end of it, we were most excited by those those that were different, you know, because right. yeah, you know, we want we want to be able to provide some classical representations of Scotch whiskey always, but man, I think the things that we remember the most are usually the ones that are the most different. So if right. anything, I think we're really celebrating those. Um, so yeah, that's a long, a long answer to your question of a uh, read. No, it's great. Have, have, you, anybody, have, but, uh, yeah. have you ever done um, like malt blends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we, up until 2015, the company was owned by the Glen Warrenji Group. And are now back independent again. So since 2015, and, and since then, we've really just sort of walked in the warehouse and said, "I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but right, let's have some fun." You know, we we, we don't have corporate ownership restricting what we do or do not do, and, and also I think you know, as a, a subsidiary of a large whiskey company, we were sort of just a, cl a, a club focused collective of guys. It wasn't really there's was no. Wasn't the same level of ambition of growing this and making something special here. I'm sure it always was for the members, but right. um, so recent a couple of years ago, we started. You and Campbell, who was our spirits manager, used to work as a bartender at the vaults. Was recognized for having an incredible palate, and was asked one day, "Do you want to look after the whiskey?" I said, "Okay, sure." You know, and you know, just sitting around experimenting, created a, a little blend that we called Exotic Cargo. It was all sherry matured whiskey from within Space Side. Released that a couple of years ago. Was that the one you brought on to uh, Scottish Test Dummies show? So that was the follow-up to it. So oh. it Exotic Cargo, it was a different approach then, and it was all sherry matured whiskey. Um, ended up winning some awards here and there, beating out some big blending brands, which is... Oh, that's always good. Um, it was unex I mean, it was kind of awkward. Not awkward. It was great, but it was not the intention. Um and then Pete Ferry was the whiskey. The, the follow-up to that was a, a light right. blend of, of Isla casks and space side casks. So I'll first fill space side casks and then Isla casks. Right. And the idea of creating something that's really sort of fruity, very space side style whiskey with this unique component of, of a, a unique Isla element to it. Right. Um, and so we've just continued on on that just for fun. I mean, it, it's such we, we we have one that comes out every every few months to every six months at this point, you know, country dependent, but uh, it's fun. You know, our tasting panel will blind taste test the, the blended malt at different ABVs. And so for whatever reason, it's keep, they keep picking 50% ABV is the one that works in the blind taste tests. Uh, it, it, they're, they're fun. They're, and so we have something that are coming out that are a bit more radical and we're moving away from the conventional. Oh, but again, it, the core of what we do is a single cask. I mean, that's 99% right. of our whiskeys. Right. It's cool that you're doing that. That is not just, you know, constricted and convoluted to to only doing single cask, but you also have the approach that says, hey, let's just play, play around and have fun. Um, is it true that I've that that you've also done some uh, rum? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we have our whole single cask spirits line, which includes rum, cognac, armagnac, Wow. Um, you know, we did a single barrel gin uh, still in Glasgow. We had our first gin last year. And evidently, you know, gin is really popular in the UK market. And right. here in the US, not so much. But when we released it, it sold out within an hour or so. Right. <laughs> oh, well, we only have one cask here. But um, so we've really, it's the same approach. The same blind taste testing is put in place. Um and I think it's phenomenal. I mean, some of these, like Armagnac, for instance, you just can't really find single cast, cast strength Armagnac around. Right. With. Uh, and, the, and the rums, you know, we I think we bottle from at least six different countries. Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking for the U.S. because I know the U.K. might have some more representation there. Sure. But uh, there's a huge variety in, in just what's offered. And I think they've been pretty good. How did people respond to when 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 your company began to branch out and not only do whiskey? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, it, I mean, whiskey drinkers, maybe one of them, I can relate. It's we're a funny bunch. At, right. at first, they'll be fully transparent. Some people were saying, you know, you you can't change the way you do. People just don't like change. First of all, <laughs> not even whiskey drinkers. People don't like change. 
Right. So when you're a whiskey club and you start changing things and you're dedicated to the purest form of whiskey only, just because it is what you like, not because it's pure, but because that's what you enjoy, and you do something different, inevitably some people were upset. You know, you, you've lost your way. And then, then they go try it, you know, and, and then they try it and say, oh, shit, this is the best rum I've ever had. <laughs> you know, like, I'm a big rum drinker, they'll say, but like, damn, I'm going to. And so we see that like, the bottle sales have been, there was a little, there was a time period where it was, it was, uh, maybe some people didn't like it, but then they go to get around and trying it. I'm like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. And so. Right. It's a it's a funny thing. We're we're all a funny bunch, as I said, whiskey drinkers. But uh, I'll tell you today, today the enthusiasm is is amazing. It's just a such a small percentage of our of our casks are, are not Scotch whiskey. So right, we are enthusiastic. There's a lot of passion, yeah, behind whiskey drinkers, and sometimes that passion can be, you know, ever so slightly turn into something a bit more than just passion and become very opinionated. But but that's all good, you know. Um, mm -hmm. As long as it's, as long as people are not assholes, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we can bump into those people that 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 preach that kind of only their way is the right way, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, no, most people are are cool. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the whiskey community, if if you want to call it that, mm. are, is generally generally down to earth, laid back, interested in exploring new things. It's a communal drink. I mean, I just think. Uh, I mean, I know you had, I think you had Roy Aquavitae on your show. Right. Roy's a friend of mine. And, um, you know, I, he always, he's been preaching, it's not whiskey until it's shared. And I think just every year that's just reinforced more and more that right. it's really just not the same. Um, so I, I love it. I love them all, you know. I love it. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that it, it brings out, you know, the, the, Oftentimes, at least ninety-five percent of the time, it brings out the best in people, and it is sort of a, a glue that can 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 bind people together. You know, through through this whole whiskey community thing, being online, and you know, I've met people from all kinds of different parts of the globe, um, and it, it, it's it's really amazing how how that thing can can connect people. And um, I guess there's a lot of other things that can do that as well, fly fishing and cars and whatever. Mm -hmm. But it is sort of like a a the community, so far at least, has been very much about you know open mind and and compassion and benefit of the doubt and let's just have fun uh, together. So um, yeah, it's a great it's a great community. Yeah. You know what? Let's wrap it up here. Thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Oh, where um, where can people find you if they uh, want to learn more about what you do? I would say on Instagram is easiest. So at Single Malt Alliance, all spelled right. out. Um, it's become sort of my primary mode of communication at times when it comes to whiskey. Um, or you can email me at Ben. Well, Ben at SingleMaltAlliance.com. The, the email's in the profile. Go to Instagram. Right. right. Good. Thank you, every guy, everyone, every guys, everyone for uh, watching and or listening. This has been Ear Whiskey. Bye, everybody.